0: NPR day at the Minnesota State Fair. The sun is out. It's kind of blazing, isn't it, you guys? Yeah, it's a little humid. I can smell the mini donuts. All is right with the world. And we have a small but mighty crowd out here. Let's hear it, you guys. All right, well done. Today, it is a Minnesota music extravaganza. Are you a nerd who knows the most obscure facts about record labels or one-hit wonders and star singers? Are you someone who grew up listening to The Trash Men, The Underbeats, and The
1: Escapades.
0: Yeah? Is that you, Sean? That's
1: pre-my generation, that- but I'm aware. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is an hour for you. We've got great guests. We've got fun prizes. We're going to wrap the show with an appearance by the Family Stone, because they're playing here tonight and tomorrow. So, if you're on your way to the Minnesota State Fair, we are at the Dan Patch stage right near the grandstand, and I would love to have you hang out with us. We've got these cool prizes, you guys. For I mean, even if you don't know the answer to the question, you're going to get a prize, all right? That's how this works today. So, our guest, Sean McPherson, is the music director and afternoon host of Jazz 88 K B E M. He's a killer bassist. He's an alum of The Current. Give it up for Sean McPherson.
1: Hello.
0: And Sarah Alfano is a bassist in the band The Hot Freaks, and they are hot, 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 you guys. Give it up for Sarah. Thank you. All right. I want to start with a trivia question, then we'll talk to these guys a little bit. But this band which was named after something you'll pay a fine for tossing out your car window, came together when two other Minnesota bands broke up. They burst onto the scene in 1966 with a debut single that became a classic. And although they broke up again in 1972, they have reunited several times to tour with additional players. What is the name of this band? Again, a hint. This is something you get fined for throwing out your car window. We got a hand right over there with Samantha. Yes, sir. How
2: about uh, Cigarette Butts? Nicely
0: done, but no. Cigarette. That's a great name for a band. I love that. Do you guys think... Is there a band with the name of the Cigarette Butts?
1: Because there should be. Me and Sarah just started one on it. All right.
0: I love it. Double base. Meet the new Cigarette Butts right over here. Right over there to Maya, sir. Has to be the Trashman. Oh, uh uh-oh. You've just totally upstaged my next question, sir. That is not it. This is the thing you toss out and get fined for. You want to take another go? No? Who's got it? Yes, Samantha, right over there. Hi, I'm Julie from Minneapolis. Yes, ma'am. Is it trailer trash? <laughs> That's such a good guess, but no. No, it is not. I love this. I've stumped them on the very first question. <laughs> Yay. Yes, yes. Right over there was Samantha. The litter. Way to go. Yes, Yay. applause. Way to go. She gets a prize. How did you? Hey, ma'am, how'd you know that? Google. You Googled? <laughs> you sat there and Googled? Oh my gosh. I, I did. did not give the rule of no Googling. Does that. Does The Litter, does that
3: sound familiar to you guys?
1: I was going to guess The Trashmen, so I have to admit. Were you? Were
3: you going to get it? I was going to say Litter, but I am not familiar with the band, unfortunately. All right. So you were going to say The Trashmen because
0: talk a little bit, Sean, about their history with Minneapolis, and we can we can delve into that a little
1: more. There was like a, a sensation of garage rock bands across the nation, but a lot of them were focused in the Midwest. And there was a label out of here, KTEL, that was like a big deal Nationally, and they still have a part in the music world through different subsidiaries. And the Trashman and that hit "Surf and Bird" became this thing where you can surf in Minnesota. Carrie, I don't know, <laughs> but I know the tune worked, and it's become one of those. I mean, it's got to be, in my opinion, like top 10 iconic Minnesota songs, you hear that and you feel some sort of state pride.
0: Not just Minnesota, though. I mean, Sarah, if we play and we're going to play The Surf and Bird, would you recognize, do you think you'd recognize the song? I think
3: maybe, maybe. All right. I don't want to commit either way.
0: All right. So (laughs) here's a trivia question about the Trashmen that I bet even Sean doesn't know before we hear the song. Everyone knows that they had a huge hit with Surf and Bird, but do you know which Minnesota record label the song was recorded on before they were picked up by a much larger label? Does any? Oh my gosh, sir! Really? I. What?
2: I'm Brian from St. Louis Park. I believe it might have been Sound 80 Studios.
0: Ah, it is not. But that was impressive. So much certainty there. Like I've got it. What was? Hey, Samantha. Right. What was Sound eighty eight Studios?
2: Well, I know Cat Stevens recorded Ah. a couple of tunes there. Okay. It was a studio in Minneapolis for many years. So it
0: could have been them, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't anybody else. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint on this one. The studio, the label, was named after the guy that founded the label. So it was his last name. Sean, does this ring a bell?
1: I'm going to go out on a limb here. Yeah. And my first guess would have been k because that's what I thought they were on, but it sounds like I'm wrong. Is it Goody? Is, there, is Goody involved? No, but no, you've okay. got
0: the right first letter.
1: Oh, so K is the first... No. G. G. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That leads no. me nowhere. <laughs> that was not a clue
0: of any kind. Anybody else want to guess? I told you guys, I went down rabbit holes, tunnels, what I was working on, that you wouldn't believe. George Garrett, Garrett Records. Garrett Records. Ring a bell at all?
1: No, I mean, the, the Trashmen certainly do, but that label does not.
0: All right, so can we play Surfin' Bird? Let's do it. Here we go.
1: I oh, will everybody's heard about the bird. Bird, bird, bird. bird. bird the best where will a
0: Why? Why did so many people love that? I mean, anybody got a theory about why that song really caught on? Uh, no? Sean, what do you think?
1: I, I mean, I do believe singing in an iconic voice. It's not like there's another song where somebody sounds like... Bah, 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 like, they're, they're, he, that person has all the real estate in the bah, 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 <laughs> world. And there's something special about that. It makes it... You want... I mean... I, Hot Freaks knows a lot more about this than any band I've ever All been right. in. But you want a song that's sticky, right? And that is sticky. You you hear that and you remember that, and that's what I think helps to make it iconic. And then it's joyous, right, Carrie? Like, yeah, aren't, I'm I'm just lifted. It's I feel weird. Yeah, it's so weird.
0: And Sarah, this is such a good point about a song being sticky. I'm sure you guys, when you're writing music for the Hot Freaks, that's got to be something that you're thinking about, but not overriding the... How, how do you work that in?
3: I, I would agree. I mean, I have not actually helped write any of the songs. Uh, most of the songs are written by our singer, Leo, uh, who would be here, but he's in California, so you're stuck with me. Sorry. <laughs> We're um, happy to have But you. I think he just has an ear for uh, pop music, catchy music, things that are fun and just stick in your head. And I think another element, too, maybe Sean agrees with this, is... Songs that you hear on the radio that are kind of simple, that you could learn to play yourself, Ah, resonate even more with people of like, oh, I'm kind of learning guitar, I'm learning bass, like, I could learn this song that I really love, and that would be fun, and that would help me progress with my instrument. I I definitely think there's an element of that, too.
0: Right. Is, Is that it, Sean, that, like, I not even if I couldn't play this, but I could sure learn it and sing it.
1: Right. I think there's both the actual practicality of somebody going, I like this song so much that if I want to play with my friends, I don't have to just press play on it. I can actually grab my guitar. And then also, Sarah, I think that when a song is easy to play, whether you learn to play it or not, it's also easy to remember and it's it's easy to stay with. The only thing I tack on that I certainly hear in uh, hot freaks music and in a lot of the best music that I dig is and this I've heard people who do advertising music talk about this, Carrie. If there's something that's actually a little sloppy or a little mistake that actually can sort of hook our ears into oh, it. I like love if there's that. if there's uh there's a couple lines in um Kiss Me with your eyes closed, do I got the title exactly correct? This is like the big hot freaks hit. There's lines that are like Feel like a few too many syllables or feel like a little oh, like. Yeah. <laughs> but that's perfect because then it's it's memorable. It, it bounces different, right? right? So and,
0: perfection is kind of sterile and mistakes. And, and, weird. and yeah. not,
1: not memorable, right? right. You're, you're going to have the family stone up here later. Some of their right. best moments have weird coughing and weird buzzes and <laughs> human conversation. But those records are more indelible than almost anything in American music, right? Like, right.
0: Okay, I've got one more follow-up trivia question here about Surf and Bird yell out your guesses here. Which Beatle which Beetle said that he didn't like the Trash Men? And maybe you've got a theory about why. Which Beatle? Samantha... Yes, sir. Uh, I'm going to
2: guess Ringo. Because you are
0: I, right on, man. My guess is
2: that he thought he could do it better.
0: That <laughs> is exactly right. How'd you guess that? How, why'd you know that? It
2: just came to me. Yeah. You know, knowing the Beatles as well as I do. Yeah. yeah. Is
0: Ringo a favorite?
2: Oh, he's my buddy. the
0: four? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That Ringo was upset that this song was charting as high as it was on the billboard. And he thought in the interview that I read that he could do it better. So give that man a prize. All right. One more surf bird question here, because we just can't have enough. The Trashman had another minor hit that went to number 30 on the billboard charts. It also has the word bird in the song title. What is the name of that second song? Also, ma'am, uh, she's Googling. No, no, I don't see her phone in her. She's not Googling. It's a real guess. Yes, ma'am, over there with the Samantha. The bird is the word. No. no. Well, no, but I wonder if that's a lyric. It's a lyric in,
1: in Surf and Bird.
0: Surf and Bird. Okay. Good guess, though. Anyone else want to grab? It is called The Bird Dance Beat. They just loved birds. Here's what I think happened. I think they had this huge hit, then not so much, then they come back. And like, George Garrett comes we? in and
1: goes, I need a new house. Why don't you make a new song with the word bird in the title?" Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay, Sarah, the Hot Freaks have a pretty interesting
3: story.
1: And we I do. don't want
0: to forget to talk about it.
3: <laughs> Tell us about what happened. Sure. Um, so we were a band in Minneapolis uh, from, I started playing with them in beginning of 2011 And we played a lot of shows in Minneapolis for probably three or four years. Um, The farthest we ever went was Mankato and Sioux Falls. That was the farthest out of town we ever got. Um, (laughs) So we were playing around a lot. It was really fun. We were having a good time. Nothing was really changing or, you know, really kind of going anywhere for us. And people were getting busy with jobs, moving away. So we kind of just fizzled out probably we don't even remember, like 2014, 2015. There was no huge breakup. No, like, it wasn't. I an- hate you, I don't want to see you anymore. No, luckily it was nothing like that. It was just kind of, well, we're, you know, we've been playing the same bars for four years and let's do something else. Okay. So then the pandemic happens. During the pandemic, we're all texting with each other saying like, hey, I really miss you guys. It would be awesome to get back together. Like if this thing ever ends or kind of gets better let's stay in touch, like, love you, miss you, let's talk soon. Then about, uh, about a year ago, August of 21, um, people started reaching out to us and saying that we were going viral on TikTok. And Do you know that? Have, no, were you
0: clued into no. that at all?
3: Um, we're all in our 30s, not to date us too much. <laughs> so you're Some not on Some of us TikTok? are in the crowd, too. <laughs> and none of us had a TikTok account, so we didn't know um, so, luckily, people kind of told us what, we were go- what was going on. We thought it was cool, didn't really know what to do with that information. <laughs> um, and then we started getting messages in our old Facebook inbox um, from people saying they were from major labels. And we thought for sure it oh. was not real. We thought really? we were getting catfished. Haha, like somebody's reaching out to us from Capitol or Atlantic or. And what were the messages saying on Facebook? Um, call us, like we want to talk to oh you about gosh. this song. Oh my God. It's and eventually we figured out it was real. We were not being catfished. Um, and we signed a one-song deal with Elektra Records for the song that had gone viral on TikTok. So, okay. So when you sign a one-song deal, what uh,
0: what happens? Do you
3: re-record basically, it with
0: Elektra? Or how do they um, do it? Remaster it? They kept
3: the recording the same, the one that's, that we released in 2013. Um, um, but basically it's not part of the full album anymore. It, it's kind of a technicality. Um, and we, you know, they paid us this lump sum. And then once they make their money back, then we split any money that comes in from the song with them for 10 years. And then the song is fully returned to us after that time. And you're all getting wealthy off of it. Yes. Yeah, some fun money. Right. bonus money. is <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> For those of you listening, she's just covered in gold chains.
3: <laughs> I'm just dripping in diamonds and gold. <laughs> That's right. Sean, how
0: unusual do you think that is? Or is more of that happening because music is showing up on TikTok and people are doing creative things with it?
1: The one song major label deal is, I think, a phenomenon that effectively didn't exist eight years ago and wow. now is quite common. And the idea of... Research, which has always been part of what you decide to put out on records, from what I understand from people still working at record labels, is the name of the game. So why guess if a song's going to get 100,000 you know, uses on TikTok when there are songs that are unlicensed that have 100,000 plus uses on TikTok? Right. The audience has already spoken. Electric can put their machine behind it. Hopefully do well for Electra. Most importantly, hopefully do well for y'all. Spread your music further but the idea of kind of banking on one song that just that wasn't economical between let's say 1970 1970- and 2008 when you were trying to sell records.
0: Right, so. right. It is NPR Day at the Minnesota State Fair. If you're here with us, thank you. It's great to have you well. here. If you're on your way out to the Minnesota State Fair, you can find us at Dan Patch Stage right near the Grandstand. And there is like a day-long great calendar of events and some really good music coming up. We are doing Minnesota Music Trivia and we've got a super smart audience here. They, I have not been able to stump them as easily as I thought I would. So let's get back to the trivia, shall we? Here we go. I think it wouldn't be Minnesota Music Trivia without some questions about Prince. In 2006, there were 14 purple tickets hidden inside the album 3121. What did the people, the lucky people who found these purple tickets, inside the albums receive from the purple one? What did they get if they found the ticket? Does anybody... What? Ah, uh, Samantha? Yes, sir.
2: Uh, this is Chris from Sartell. I'm guessing a trip, a personal tour of Paisley Park.
0: Right on, man. Exactly. Like a meetup and a hangout at Paisley. Were you one of the people that found the <laughs> no, ticket?
2: Great, but no, I, I never, <laughs> never got the invite.
0: What would you ask Prince if you... Let's say you had two hours at Paisley with him... What would you ask him?
2: Uh, well, as a former fellow bass player, I'd ask him to teach me the, the best bass riff he, uh, he has in any of his tunes. <laughs> yeah? That's what I would
1: ask.
0: Yeah, just a little private lesson. Yeah,
1: that'd be great. That'd
0: be amazing. What would you ask Prince if you'd had that kind of one-on-one time with him?
1: It is very possible I would ask him something about his bass playing because even though he's known for so much more than his bass playing, I might ask to have him show me the lick from Pop Life, you know, that, that and I go let's let's walk through that together and, and show me note by note. I did I got to go to Paisley Park while Prince was alive because oh, wow. I played bass for years for Dessa, who I yeah. know that you're familiar with. Yep. Um, and we played one of the Paisley Park After Dark shows, and we got done with sound check, and I'm standing around Paisley Park, and then maybe nine feet from me. Is Prince, and he's he's just checking in with his people, making sure everything is right. And I had goosebumps. And then the gentleman disappeared for probably eleven, you know, six hours. We got done with our show, and he played a little bit afterwards. And I, what I kept on thinking about was, in that time, he probably made more quality music than I would make in a year, or than Hot Freaks would make in a year. Just the productivity. If you went to Paisley Park, these lucky people who got to do the tour, you're really seeing that it's, it's, it's a temple to work. It's a temple to ingenuity. It's not filled with hot tubs to party and it's filled with studios to record in. um So I'd ask, I'd ask him a lot about that, but that was incredible. Dessa also stepped on my foot when I swore <laughs> somewhat near somebody from the Prince camp in Paisley Park because you don't swear around there. So yeah. uh, no bruises, She's but I did get stepped raining on. you yeah, in, <laughs> that's right. as so
0: many of us have had to do. A lot. Sarah, what, what do you
3: think if you'd had some time with Prince? What would you have wanted to know? Okay, don't hate me because I know I'm a musician and this show is about music but I would ask him to see his wardrobe oh. and tell me what his like oh most gosh. favorite
0: Great answer. things were and
3: why because To take I, you up to the closet. That's part, of, that's like part of why he was so cool, right? It was yeah. just like the whole look and the whole vibe and I got to go out to Pais- Paisley Park as well when he was wow. still living for a show and it was just... He actually performed that night too and it was incredible and just the energy and the Aura and so very, were you very sitting cool. like 10 feet from him when he was performing? It When he performed, it was snowing really hard that night and it was really late. So a lot of people didn't go and you never knew if he was going to show up when he had those those right. gatherings out there. Um, so we were we were really close. I mean, there was maybe 50 or 60 people there and we were in kind of the room that felt like a middle school gym, for lack of a better Description and he was just there playing and then he was playing ping pong off to the side and Jeez. it was really cool singular experience <laughs> I mean really anybody here been
0: out to Paisley Park and and had a an encounter with Prince right over there with but you were at Paisley Park man yesterday I was just there what yesterday. you were there yesterday yeah what's it yeah. like now
4: oh I, you know I'd never been there before
0: and it was just so moving and. It was a very emotional experience. I'll bet. I mean, so you took a tour. You saw yeah. the studios. Yeah. You didn't probably get in the closet. There were I'll no. Bet. But there. But actually, there are a lot of shoes. There. There were probably 200 pairs of shoes on display, and they played a lot of clips from his concert. Oh yeah. Concerts. Yeah. Yeah. Cool experience. All right. I have another trivia question about Prince. In the late 80s, Prince was gearing up for the release of a new album when a week before it was due to drop, he canceled it. Do you guys know this? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm on it.
0: He said he'd had a spiritual epiphany, his words. What was the name of that album? And for extra credit, what is the name of one of the album's songs that pays tribute to, in a way, Mary Poppins? What's the name of the album that... He canceled within a week. The record label must have been just furious, right? Anybody know? And I, and maybe you don't. It came out. It came out what seven years later? Ninety-five. Yeah. Ninety-five. Okay. Anybody know it? Sh- wait, wait. Oh, I'm hand over there. Think it is the black album. Way to go, sir! Absolutely. Nice. Have you listened to it?
2: Uh, bits and pieces.
0: So maybe you know this. So one of the songs on the album has a, the name of it pays tribute in a way, in a pretty obvious way, to Mary Poppins.
1: I'll defer to Sean.
0: (laughs) Okay, good answer.
1: I can think of two songs off that album, and neither of them have a Mary Poppins thing. I can think of Bob George, which I don't think is... That's not it. Rock Hard in a Funky Place. Nope. Okay.
0: (laughs) Not sure where the Mary Poppins connection would come in there. Should we play it? Yeah. And then you'll guess it. You should all right. play it. <laughs> Here it is. Let's listen.
4: If your body needs water, keep dense, cause you ought to keep the blood flowing down to your feet. Brother Maurice said be round in a middle, with a bucket filled in Square squirrel meat.
5: The blood real good if you drink it real fast, but the aftertaste just lasts and lasts. If you kiss somebody, you want to party all night.
2: All right, Soup.
0: such a great lead-in to the family stone our conversation with them coming up i hope you guys will hang around for that it's gonna be great um what what so that yeah super califragile sexy from (laughs) prince there and the black album what do you know sean about i mean has anything else come out about why a week out he cancels the release of the album
1: some things have come out and uh, i'm a I'm lucky that some of my years, I'm now a Jazz 88, but for some of my years I was working at NPR and part of my position was helping run Purple Current. So I did a lot of Prince research and a lot of Prince preparation, spoke to a lot of the legends that were involved in these records. And there was a time in the late 1980s where Prince and some people in the criticism world and perhaps some people just generally in the world questioned Prince's relevance and perhaps loyalty to his Mm. black audience, Ah. right? Um, And there might be an idea of that, oh, when you went really Paisley and everybody's wearing a raspberry beret, there was a feeling of maybe, um, and I'm not making conjecture about my personal opinions about this, I'm just that at that moment and that this this record, to some extent, the black album, was an answer to go, I still got something for my black audience. Mm -hmm. I still got something that's going to come across and going to hit on black radio stations and going to connect with those folks. And then I think there was also a trepidation that maybe he was approaching that in the wrong way. And I think when he talks about that, that moment, that experience, the that spiritual uh, journey, epiphany. I've yeah. heard that it might have been aided by some, you know, funguses of certain types <laughs> that might have been, okay, Mushrooms, guided you. Yeah, yes. you know, yeah. Um, and who knows who's to say if that's true. Um, but I think, obviously, he had an incredible career where he clearly established his relevance to all audiences, including black audiences, could, for decades upon decades after that but I think that was a crossroads Got it. and, and, but it's the funkiest crossroads you've ever heard it is an unbelievably powerful record and he is hidden on all cylinders and it finally did get a proper release but it's probably the most bootlegged album of all time oh really I mean oh. may, I think oh. you couldn't get uh, London Calling from The Clash for a number of years in America so that was a very bootlegged record uh-huh. but this was a record that The Clash didn't pull it off the shelves this was pulled off the shelves and people were paying upwards of $500 for a copy. Jeez.
0: And you heard it right here on NPR. Sarah, is there a song, a Prince song, that you'd say, even if it hasn't crept into the Hot Freaks music, mm. that is highly influential to you as a musician, as,
3: as, a, as somebody who knows a lot about music
0: and practices?
3: That's a really interesting question. I mean, a couple come to mind that are just really nostalgic for me and that I just really love and always get a kick out of um, raspberry beret as you mentioned and also just anything from the purple rain soundtrack is just Mm -hmm. super like reminds me of my childhood and my parents had the record and just makes me feel really safe and comfy and like you want to dance around and not care about anything and i feel like that is such like a quintessential pop album, and right. that's kind of the music that we make and that we love, and so I guess I would have to say anything off of Purple Rain. Sean,
0: why has Purple Rain not just endured, I mean, it's great music, the way it has, but why doesn't it feel dated when you listen to it? I'd love, I'd love to hear your thinking on that.
1: I kind of believe when, a, when an album or a moment is so pervasive and there's so much to encompass it, it can't really be dated because it feels like a complete package. I'm going to make a weird connection here, Carrie. It's like the first example of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Like, if you listen to Purple Rain, you can also think about the attire. You can think about the movie. You can think about the tour. Right. It's so encompassing that it gives you... You get so transported back that you don't think about it as being, being transported back to the mid-1980s. You think about it as being transported back <laughs> to whatever moment you were at in your life.
0: Totally. I was just going to say, I, I bet... There are, you've had this experience too. Do you remember where you were when you heard the first song from Purple Rain or when it really started to kind of pervade your, your consciousness, your awareness? Anybody in the audience? What were you doing? Yes, ma'am, right over there with Samantha. Catherine from St. Louis Park, and I was a resident advisor in college. Ah. There were some girls on my floor. And that was the first time I heard it was they
3: were playing it, and I just remember just sort of wandering to the room, like, <laughs> what is that? Like you know? gravity was yeah, pulling right, you. Yeah, right, exactly. Right? And just, yeah, and it was, and for that whole year, I think, that was constantly playing from somebody. Right. It was really fun. Right.
0: How about somebody else? That's great. At, at An RA in college. When you, yes, sir, right back there, uh, Maya is coming around on the back side there. Yes, that, yes. Say so your name. Yes, sir. Uh,
2: Dennis from Plymouth, and I was uh, in grad school in Iowa City uh, when I first heard uh, Prince.
0: And what do you remember about the experience of hearing that music?
2: Uh, It it just stays uh, with you completely. The only other song that I can uh, say is like that was Springsteen's Born to Run, the Mm -hmm. very first time I heard that i just uh uh said who is this guy and uh the same thing with prince
0: yeah it's so like inter i think you were saying this sean it's so intertwined with a moment in american culture and history and the way you yourself connect to that how about you what was the first song that you think really
1: spoke to you uh, when doves cry? Right. Th- th- thats the song. What were you song. doing when you heard it? So this was this is this beautiful moment. I got parents who were got married or met each other in the mid- late 1960s in Chicago at a blues concert. They loved music. <laughs> this is all they, making sense now. They moved to rural Massachusetts for a job for my dad, and we didn't go to concerts, right? But my mom knew that life, and my dad knew that life. My dad saw Cream three times, and I think Cream was together for three years or something wow. like that. And. Prince comes on the TV and it's when doves cry and my mom goes, do you guys, to me and my brother, do you want me to turn this up loud like you're at a concert? We got to hear this music loud. So she takes, you know, the five pound remote from 1985 <laughs> and turns it up to like, you know, 21 on the TV, which is like unbelievably loud. <laughs> and I was just sitting there and I felt this. This was probably one of the first times music shook me, mm-hmm. right? It was probably the loudest I had ever heard music. And I was absolutely connected with that and i loved it also uh you know that line in the song maybe i'm just like my father too uh, bold." Yeah, yeah. my older brother who's an intelligent man steve thought that prince's dad was named too bold like <laughs> that it was like maybe i'm just like my father too bold which i every time i hear that song i i, I still think about that all the time
0: <laughs> another one of those kind of like weird little hooks that yeah. <laughs> grabs on right anybody else want to share a prince i heard the music the first time. Yeah, I see a I see a hand right back there. Maya? Yeah, ma'am. Hi, I'm Lynn from South Dakota. Hi.
4: And I'm the one that introduced Sarah to Prince. What? And my mom when the, when <laughs> doves cry, I you am her mom. And we were at the Iowa State Fair the first time and we were camping when I heard when the doves cry and just like Sean, we would turn it up and dance in our house. So. Do you remember that On Saturday, Saturdays. Saturdays. Wow. Oh, yeah. Play
3: music and do chores and pretend like it's fun. Was it, <laughs> your, it was fun.
1: Was it your mom who booked Hot Freaks in Sioux Falls? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, she might have had a hand in it. I was there. I was there. They always, but, come, right. they always come to the shows,
1: especially if
0: they're in Sioux Falls. All right. We have the Family Stone coming up here in just a minute. But I've got one last trivia question for you and it's a little more contemporary. The band Soul Asylum which was formed in Minneapolis in what year, Sean? I'm going to go 1986. 1981 was called Something Else at first. What was the name of the band before Soul Asylum? Anybody? Yeah, I had to dig on this one. I love. Did you like
1: Soul Asylum? I really love them. I did. They were one of the Minnesota bands I knew about before I moved to Minnesota. Yeah? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Grave Dancers Union, big national thing. And, Carrie, I know the answer to this trivia question. I you feel do? Like all, all my all my time reading Wikipedia pages just paid <laughs> off. And, I,
0: <laughs> and it just came to you? I'm hoping nobody Can else we see knows it. The, yeah, because he just wants to spew it out, you guys. Come on, somebody make a guess. Soul Asylum, before the band was named Soul Asylum, what was the name... This would be a hard one just to kind of dredge out. I can't believe you came up with this. Yeah,
1: loud
5: fast rules. Yes,
0: which I think is such oh. a great. How's that game feel, Steph Curtis? <laughs> yeah. Why does Steph, Cur- Steph Curtis knew that too? No, she didn't. No. Oh uh, my god. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> loud fast rules. Okay, guys, we've got the family stone coming up. I hope we shelled out a lot of prizes. You guys were a really great audience. Thank you to Sean and Sarah. And we're going to hear a little music. Please welcome Jerry Martini, Fun Stone, and Swang Stewart of the Family Stone.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: Okay, I have a question. Ciao. I have a question about Prince, since oh. we were doing some trivia question, questions about him. It's clear that Prince so admired Sly and the Family Stone that he built his backing band, The Revolution... It seems like in your image, Jerry, maybe you have a a view on this. Can you you hear uh, that?
5: I can't hear you talk. You can't you know? hear me you know, now. I can hear you. How about okay? You have to speak up a little. I bit will do me. that. My ears are eighty, like the rest. Understood, of me. You know? Jerry. <laughs> yeah, I'll repeat the and question. With speaker's behind me for sixty years on stage. You know, it kind of
0: <laughs> they've flown okay, things out of it. I was asking about. It's clear that Prince was such an admirer of Sly and the Family Stone. That yeah, I
5: played with him for three years. Tell
0: me about. That's what I was getting yeah. to. Tell me about it.
5: Well, I remember when I first started uh, playing with him. We were his opening act, but he used to make me go stand up on that purple piano and take a solo. It scared the hell out of me. <laughs> you know, I first did it. Then you get used to it after a while. But I'm I'm short, a little bit taller than him and and the roadies used to get a little step stool, they'd crawl on their hands and knees and put it. Might have to walk up the step stool to get up on the piano and but it was all good. He was a genius. And It was a good three years that we spent with him.
0: What did he teach you, and what did you teach him from your time with
5: him? Well, I taught him that you can still be old and play. And I also taught him that, uh, you know, we are who we are and stuff. And I didn't really let him talk to me the way he talked to a lot of people. Because he had a lot of people working for him. And sometimes when you're the boss... You gotta crack down on people, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. But he, he was brilliant, and I learned a lot from him because he knew everything. He knew all the, the lighting people's jobs, he knew he, he could mix you himself. I'm just glad he didn't play saxophone, otherwise, he wouldn't have needed me at all. <laughs> he played so many instruments.
0: Fun. I, I wonder if Prince is an influence for you, and what some of the other important influences for the way you see music. And your role in the band? Don't oh, be shy. I,
4: I love all music, so I think I think all music has an influence. Just from growing up, you know what your parents played in the house, um, your neighbors. Just it all has an influence, and I love it all.
0: What did your parents play in the house? Um, we'll We'll talk about who your parents are in just a second.
4: Like a lot of BB King and um, Earth, Wind and Fire. You know oh, yeah. everything,
0: right? Russell, what did your, or Swang, pardon me. That's Russell right. Swang Stewart. Uh, yes. What'd your parents play in the house and what really resonated?
2: I grew up in New York City and uh, we had a radio station called WBLS. And uh, on Saturday mornings, my mom would wake us up playing that. So it was um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, um, Slide the Family Stone, um, James Brown, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of late seventies, early eighties R and B, because mm. that was right around that era. I'm aging myself. Everybody, hello, there. That is. <laughs> um, it was a lot of that uh, going on in the house, and it was from sun up till sundown every
5: weekend.
0: Jerry, I listened to uh, Underdog yesterday.
5: Yeah, the uh,
0: first single on the very first
5: yes, it was Sly
0: and the Family Stone
5: album yep it was also a brand new beat that nobody had heard before how so? well uh, most of the beats in those days are uh, motown kind of oriented like and 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 the underdog had a whole new beat it was yeah. and that was a little bit too hep for the times so CBS and nobody got behind it except Almost all other musicians loved it. It was a hit in in New York, at, well, underground, and in Las Vegas, huh. and it bombed. So Sly said, "They said you got to be more like, like this." So he said, "Okay, I'll give you a song," and he wrote "Dancing the Music" probably in about two two minutes. And Seriously, yeah, it was that, that was fast. Our, our first hit, 1968. We played it on Ed Sullivan, and uh, and a lot of good things happened with that. You know, like Sly would hear something. Even if it wasn't supposed to be on, like, I, when we recorded it at CBS in New York, um, Sly so said, look, the union guys are coming tonight, so you've got to bring an instrument or you don't get paid. That's mm-hmm. so how it is in New York, you know? Uh-huh. And so I said, it was snowing out, so I brought my clarinet, you know, and I think, I'm not going to have to play. But then I was in the back room, and they would go, dance to the music, and I was on my clarinet. I said, she, on my clarinet, and Sly so walks by and says, get your butt in the studio. <laughs> 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 and he put it on all the whole album, on the whole album, and on the very end of I Want to Take You Higher, I, I, holding my breath for about eight minutes, <laughs> it seemed like, and the last note on Higher. That's my story.
0: What was, what was being in the studio for the first time with the band, recording that
5: first album? I mean, did you... It was great. Well, you know what? When we did the first album, there was still two-track, Okay. So we were playing in Las Vegas uh, six nights a week from 12 at night to 6 in the morning. And Monday was our day off. So every day off, we would, we would fly to, New York, uh, to uh, Los Angeles at CBS on Sunset and Gower. It's, it's a parking lot now. But anyway, and we would record f- for about 16 hours. And back then, you couldn't overdub. So if you made a mistake, everybody in the band hated you. You know, because you'd have to do the whole thing over again. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was really interesting, and we loved it. And Las Vegas was uh, probably the first place, uh, except for our under, underground place in uh, California, the people in Vegas really loved us, you know? I mean, Bobby Darren was in the front row every night, and wow. we really loved him. And we very sorry to see him die so young, you know?
0: Fun, did you uh, grow up hearing these kinds of stories, you're the daughter of Sly Stone and Cynthia Robinson. So, how much of this lore did you did you hear as a kid? Were you in the studio sometimes when they were working?
4: I was in the studio uh, a lot of times. Just like the only kid running around, getting into stuff and um, I've heard these stories my whole life. My parents, they never sugarcoat anything so they would tell me all, all the Oh, details. So uh, yeah, like what? <laughs> do tell.
0: Like uh-oh, what? Uh-oh, <laughs> I don't. Uh-oh. I see some children in the audience. I don't know if I should be. <laughs> was so. What do you remember about those those days that you were kind of turned loose in the studio and this music making was going around oh, on around you? Wow. Um, now that i'm older i
4: I could appreciate it more, but I mean, as a child I wasn't having fun. Yeah. <laughs> there was no other kids, this around. it was like
0: work and wife, yeah I'm here. so it
4: was like not that fun, but um, everybody treated me well um, i I just enjoyed being around my parents. that right. was like the the best part, but um yeah, it's just like a little kid running around and Not understanding the greatness
0: I was surrounded by, you know? Right, right. Now you know. Swang, what was your introduction to the band? Uh,
2: My introduction to the band is, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's an interesting story. To me, um, I mentioned before, and we mentioned before, that my mom was a huge Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. That was her group. And my dad was Mr., well, I'm going to one-up your mom. (laughs) So one day he said something that sounded really strange to me. I was already interested in music. I wasn't really playing then, I don't think. Or maybe a little bit. Piano here and there. Drums here and there. But one day he said, you ought to hear where Earth, Wind & Fire came from. You know, My dad is not that old, but he sounded like an old man. <laughs> and right. he, w- he went up into the record collection that no one was allowed to touch but him. Mm-hmm. And he pulled out Stand, The Stand album. And uh, I think he put on You Can Make It If You Try, the last song on the record. I think. I think that's the first one he played for me. Or maybe it was Higher. I don't remember now. But um, I immediately, even though my ear was still developing, I could immediately hear where Earth, Wind & Flyer might have been influenced by this. It's hard to put your finger on it unless you know the music. But I could immediately recognize that. And uh, I was hooked right away. Just something about the sound, something about the energy of it. Um, I got into the lyrics later on, because Sly is a brilliant lyricist as well. But uh, that was my introduction. And then a few years later, someone played me, Sly and the Family Stone, live in the Isle of Wight. And I heard, you can make it if you try live. And I recognized that. Okay, this band was one thing in the studio, and live was... An extension of that, but something you know, the energy level was that much higher.
0: Jerry, what what was that about? One thing in the studio, and a and do you agree with that? And a totally well, different because thing live.
5: When you're in the studio, on uh, well, the very beginning, we all recorded it once. But later on, you do everything in sections, so it's uh, it's great, but it's not as personal. Uh, like they'd always bring the horns in last, because that's just the way it is, you know. Uh, so I would come in and I would hear almost everything was already done. So it, it made it easy for me because I could put a little bit of my personality mm-hmm. into my parts. and On the live performances. Yeah, I, on the live performances, yeah. we just went and played. The audience would turn us on. You know, you get the energy from the audience and it. And that gets you high right there You know, with me. It, uh, it's, a, it's a feeling that you can't explain, you can't buy it. But if the people are into you, especially before you even go on, it makes you play better.
0: Yeah. I, you know? I, I was asking Fun about this earlier about playing fairs. And you were you were saying that, Fun, that the energy that the audience... Maybe it's, what, the outdoor venue, just the thrill of fans, longtime fans. You really feel the the vibe coming yeah, off the I audience. Yeah, definitely huh? do. The
4: energy, really just, we feed off of it. Uh-huh. So it just... Amplifies whatever we're doing and, and it makes it better, you know
0: go ahead, no, oh, go ahead, no. <laughs> I was just going to say y- you all have performed th- this version of the band together for a while. Mm. I'm just curious about how free swang maybe you'll tackle this one. You feel oh. to you know go off book a little bit like mm-hmm. you've rehearsed it, you know what the set list looks like, you know what. Fun and Jerry and the other band but maybe there's a moment that you can improvise and do you feel free to do that and what do they do when you're doing
2: that? <laughs> it's, uh, there is an art to that because we're playing music that belongs to uh, a great legacy first of all but also to the world so um, you have to be very careful and selective and pick your spots <laughs> if you want to go off that script because the script is perfect So, you know, uh, and authenticity is really important to us Uh to be able to play this music authentically and for people to hear what they remember. Um, So sneaky little things happen and the musicians will turn to one another when it does because we can hear it and give each other that little look. Yeah. okay, I see what you I hear what you're doing (laughs) over there. Uh,
0: That's such an interesting answer about you have expectations of the audience.
5: Yes, Jerry. Go right ahead. Okay, uh, getting back to uh, to Swang. Yeah. I was at B.B. B. King's in New York. on uh, Every March 15th, there would be a party there in honor of Sly's birthday. And about five years ago, I guess it's been, I went there, and that's where I met Swang. He played every instrument in the band except horns, thank goodness. Wow. And he was so good that <laughs> I was with the ex-vice president of CBS was with me. We looked at each other. And we both nodded, and I asked him to join the band that night.
0: Aha! Uh-huh. What, so what happens when Swang does something that's a little creative, even knowing that the audience has expectations about this song is going to sound like this? What, what kind of ripples through the band?
5: He puts his own personality into it, and uh, he, he sings actually Larry Graham's part and Sly's part, and... Um, he plays guitar and keyboards on stage, but he can. He could do the drum part, the bass part, everything. <laughs> He's very like her daddy, Sly. Uh, the Family Swim wasn't our first project. I did The Swim with him in, in 1962. Sly so was wow. 19, huh. I was 20. That was his first gold record. Oh, my gosh. And he sold over a million records. And... Uh, that was in '62, and then we, we waited a few years before we put the band together. Hmm. But he, Sly and I have been together since about 1961. We used to play with cover bands in the Bay Area.
0: You two probably know as much as there is to know about each other, you and Sly.
5: Well, absolutely. You know, he was, still is, kind of my hero. You know, he's the best musician and writer and that I ever met. And I saw so I'm gonna I'd be out there playing his songs. Until I can't play no more.
0: Hmm. I understand you were not initially thrilled with the song Thank You For Letting Me Be Myself. Oh, yes, I was. Oh, well, here's <laughs> what you said to a historian. I it was so unhip to us. The beats were glorified Motown. We did the formula thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it grew
5: on me. Did it? Why? Did we it every gig. You know, and we do that. It took a while for me to understand what he was really saying. My initial uh, thing on that was, and how long ago did I say that? You you uh, talked to Joel Selvin uh, about this on oral the book. historian, yeah? Joel right Selvin. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. I would like to, <laughs> because he he tricked me. He came to Hawaii, and he got me to say things. And he actually quoted me. On things that are not true. And he got a big hit on that. And he was riding back to the mainland with a friend of mine. And he, he said to him, he goes, I got him. Meaning, that's what Joe Sullivan, he got me. He got me to say things. He put words in my mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? <laughs> in I mean, the end, I don't like him. In know? the yeah, end, yeah, yeah, yeah. you
0: like the song, though. I love Al, it. Now you really Who love the song. Like song. I know. It's, it's that is it, song.
5: Actually, I've always liked that. I've, you know, that's a weird quote. What's, what's it like
0: when the band plays it today? Swang, what would you say?
2: Uh, every time's like the Joel first time. Sullivan.
5: <laughs> Gee,
0: i didn't what? hear that go ahead it's a bad,
2: it's every, it's a bad quote
5: <laughs> every
2: time is like the first time especially I mean, with all the is songs really? really yeah wow yeah um i don't know that we've played to an audience that has sat through it yeah that's a song you stand up to and and let it all out
0: you said every song feels like that?
2: Yeah, I, I feel like it. Me, I mean, I do, personally.
0: What is it, do you think, about? What, the construction of the song, the rhythm, the...
2: All the... of it, all of it. Um, Sly is, ex- to this day, as as, as, an, as enormous a figure as he is in music, I still feel that he's underrated in many circles. Um, he's not mentioned in the same company as a lot of other acts, Maybe because of other things not having to do with music. But if you take the music at its own value, um, he's a brilliant lyricist, first of all. People rarely talk about that. Um, and his melodies are very unique to him, but also very catchy. And uh, his understand Sly was a schooled musician. A lot of people don't realize that. Hey, uh, this
0: is... I, I would love to sit and chat for another two hours. I, we have so many questions. <laughs> uh, the family Stone will be at the Liny Lodge Bandstand tonight and tomorrow night at eight thirty. It's a free show. Do not miss them. Don't, guys, don't. thank you so much. Thank don't you. miss it. Thank you. Don't miss it. Really it. Come out. Have you here? Thank you. Thanks, everybody.